It's not a product, it's a technology. It's an education challenge. A regenerative suspension? There will be a growing demand for industrial photovoltaics. Tom Tiger. Innovation in the financing space. The high-speed train is in all our interests. All political lines. Australia is a solar paradise. The market is moving much faster than that. You've got something that's transformational. Solar window in a can. Beyond Zero. Global warming science, solutions and action. Taking it to a do-it-yourself level. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero Emissions Show. Recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne, syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and podcast on the internet at bze.org and 3cr.org.au and whatever podcasting app you choose to use. And don't forget you can also follow us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Hello, I'm Kay and today I'm joined in the studio by my co-host Laura and our expert interviewer, Dr. Scott Watkins. He was formerly the research leader for thin film photovoltaics in CSIRO's future manufacturing flagship and is currently technology developer, science communicator and manager working with a long list of startups and businesses. He has appeared on the Beyond Zero show on a number of occasions, most recently to talk about his role as ambassador for Pollinate Energy, a social enterprise based in India that is delivering technologies such as solar lights to people in urban slums to improve their lives. And that's quite a great project that you've discussed earlier with us, haven't you? Yes. So today, Scott will be discussing photovoltaic cells and their technologies and, and the changes with Professor Martin Green, and he'll be conducting the interview. But in the meantime, while we're waiting here, can you just briefly just run through what Pollinate Energy... Yes. So since we last spoke about the work that Pollinated Energy are doing, things have really gone on well. They're expanding into new cities around India and have been able to show that the model that they've developed in Bangalore, where they're training local people to sell solar-powered lights, has been replicable. And so expanding into Hyderabad and Kolkata now, and it's proving to be an even bigger success and they're reaching more people and it's great outcome. It's, that's fantastic, actually. I, I think it's a, a wonderful thing, especially in light of what's been said by the, um, our current government about the amount of coal that we've got to export to India and the lack of infrastructure they've got there actually to distribute that around yeah, the country. Yeah, certainly the, these people are not connected to the grid at the moment and the prospects of being connected to the grid are pretty slim for a lot of these people. So distributed energy generation where they're using solar is a, is a much better solution. Mm. Mm, absolutely. I totally agree with you. So I'll hand over now to, to Scott and welcome, Scott. Yeah, thank, thanks, Kay. So today we're speaking with Professor Martin Green and Martin really he needs no introduction to the, the solar community in Australia. He's the Scientia Professor at the University of New South Wales and he's the Director of the Centre for Advanced Photovoltaics there that has been uh, supported by ARENA, the uh, Australian National Energy Agency. His group's contributions to photovoltaics around the world are very well known including the development of many of the world's highest efficiency silicon solar cells. And, uh, and that's led to many successful uh, technology transfers and spin-off companies. Uh, with Dr. Mark Kievers, Martin was recently a finalist in the 2015 Eureka Awards for developing a, a record-breaking 40% efficiency photovoltaic cell. So mm. welcome to the show, Martin. Oh, hi, Scott. Uh, nice to talk to you again. Yes, it's great to have you here. So... These, the, these latest improvements in efficiencies, can we start with that? Can you tell us about what has made that happen? 
Yes, so um, one, one way of using sunlight is to uh, focus it, um, concentrate it down to a small area so you only need a small amount of cell area to convert it to electricity. And uh, there's one Australian company, uh, Raygen, who uh, are doing very well. I think they've got the best technology in the world for doing that, and they're installing uh, systems now in China. But um, when you focus the sunlight, you can afford to do more complicated things with the solar cells. And one thing that's routinely done is to uh, stack cells from different materials on top of one another. So um, the sunlight hits the stack and sort of gets filtered as it goes through the stack. So you put a cell on top that responds to blue light best, and then the light that uh, blue light gets absorbed in it and gets converted efficiently, then the remaining light filters through to the next cell in the stack and you get this automatic uh, filtering of the light so it's converted by the cell that's most suited for it. The standard cells that are sold for doing that uh, have one limit. One of the cells gets far more light absorbed in it than it can really handle. And our idea was to, uh, instead of wasting that light, was to reflect it to a another cell that was completely separate from the stack and convert the light efficiently there. And in that way, we were able to get this boost on what other people had been able to do previously with sunlight conversion efficiencies. So this was, in fact, the first time anyone had converted sunlight to electricity with over 40% efficiency. So that's a, that's a fantastic result. And, I, I mean, many people immediately go to the question is, um, when do you think that this sort of technology can be applied to the, the rooftop sort of panels? Yeah, we're, we're actually working on, on this. The idea is particularly well suited when you focus the sunlight, but we've been exploring ways that you can also apply it to rooftop type panels. Once you start focusing the sunlight, you have to start tracking the sun, and that requires moving parts somewhere in the system. But for a rooftop, you really would want the panel just stick, sitting there without any movement like the standard panels do. So we've been looking at ways that we can use the same effect to increase the efficiency of normal panels, and we, we've just had a, a new result there that looks quite interesting. So the best result anyone has obtained before is 24% is efficiency in converting sunlight that is not uh, focused or concentrated into electricity, and we've recently had a result over 30%. So it looks like we're about to set some, some new records there by um, incorporating some additional new ideas. That's fantastic news. I, I'm sure everyone is very excited to see that, that play out. What else is exciting you at the, at the moment in the world of photovoltaics? Yeah, I guess just the increasingly rapid uh, uptake of the technology, um, you know, has been really exciting. So, um, you know, it's, it's probably not universally appreciated, but within the power industry itself, I think most of the players are starting to realise that we're in the middle of an energy revolution so that the cheapest way of generating electricity, you know, five or ten years down the track is going to be through solar. So that's starting to change the way that power companies think about how they might operate in the future. So it's already having large-scale impact, although the penetration rates of solar are still quite small. They're growing so quickly that it's soon going to be a major player within the power industry. So that's really exciting. So on, on that topic, there was a bit of press in the last couple of days about predictions for uptake of solar, and particularly uh, the International Energy Agency has, over the last 10, 15 years, done predictions of various uh, scenarios of energy mix around the world and have consistently massively underestimated the impact of solar. Do you, do you have any thoughts about why that is, why 
people in whose business it is to estimate energy mix are, are underestimating the public and businesses' uptake of solar? Yeah, I, I'm, I can't say I understand the full reasons, but the uh, International Energy Agency seems to have deliberately um, attempted to underestimate. It's just uh, impossible to believe they could contemplate that they were doing a responsible job of, of forecasting. You know, and, and even now, their latest estimates are sort of very conservative compared to um, you know what the industry is actually likely to do. So they've tended to just adjust their estimates with time to match reality, but project uh, very conservatively into the future in each case. So, um, you know, I, I guess they're mainly representing um, groups that are involved in traditional power generation and, and, and probably wanting to preserve the status quo is probably the rationale for their underestimates. But to me, it seems like it's del- deliberate misrepresentation of um, future market of likely future market trends. Well, it's great to hear you, um, you know, telling us about where things are, are really at, and, and I think it's it's all of our responsibility to get that message out. Then, so going back to um, to these uh, these stack devices that you've talked about, and tandem and multi junction devices is, is a concept that's been around for a while. But just for our listeners, can you comment on on what's the process involved in selecting the different materials that go into these stacks? to make them absorb different wavelengths of light because silicon has a as on its own has a fixed band gap but if you want to capture a wider portion of the spectrum using a tandem device how do you choose the other materials that go into that yeah yeah so um a solar cell relies on some of the physics that albert einstein you know first developed but they respond to the photons in the sunlight so we're getting pelted by these huge numbers of photons but photons have different energy uh, depending on their color. So um, there's some uh, photons down the blue end of the spectrum have a lot more energy than photons down the uh, red end of the spectrum. So the the blue ones are the ones that give you sunburn and 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 all that, and the red ones are um, you know less energetic. But from a solar cell's point of view, you know once a photon has an energy above a certain value, and that's the band gap value that you mentioned it does the same job. So it doesn't matter if a, for a silicon cell, whether a red photon or a blue one hits it, you get the same electrical output. And because the blue photon has more energy, that's uh, obviously going to be a waste. So the idea is that you stack something you know, on silicon that has a higher band gap and you use it to convert the blue light and then there's less wastage of energy and the red light can still go through to the silicon and get converted by that. That idea works particularly well if the number of photons absorbed in each of these cells stacked on each other is the same, because then electrically you can just connect them in series and there's no more complication. You know, at the um, at the terminals of the device, you've just got two terminals as in a normal cell, but the the um, the current in each cell is matched and everything works beautifully. So um, the, the the challenge is to to pick the materials that have exactly the right band gap or energy threshold so that the currents throughout the stack are, are matched. And um, that's what we were able to address in our, um, our recent 40% result, just providing a better match or making use of photons above those that were needed to provide that match is what we essentially did. Great. Now, one of our colleagues, and I'll stress to our listeners, this was definitely not you, Martin, but uh, used to deliver lectures where he would start by saying, uh, I work on silicon, the only element that has ever been used in photovoltaics and the only element that ever will. 
is it is it fair to say that research has now moved on and, and disproved that that there are many other elements that are used in in high performing solar cells now? Yeah, no, there's a there's a huge range of materials that are suitable for use in cells, but but silicon is not a bad choice. Um, you know, after oxygen, it's the most abundant element in the Earth's crust, so you have no problems with resource availability. You can power you know power the world many times over with the amount of silicon that's available. It's also non-toxic, so that's another huge advantage. And the reason that you know there is so much um, interest in photovoltaics and the industry is expanding so quickly at the moment is that the technology for making the silicon cells, uh, the cost of of that technology has reduced very dramatically over the last five years. So all those points make it very difficult for other technologies to get a look in. So it's a bit like the internal combustion engine. You know, there's probably better ways of of, um, of burning fuel for motor vehicle propulsion, but um, the internal combustion engine was just developed to such a state of perfection and so many companies, et cetera, evolved that it's never been displaced. So I, I think the same type of thing might be happening with silicon. So the, um, the industry is now adopting... Um, some of the technology we developed in the 80s and 90s at, at the University of New South Wales en masse. So they're converting to some of the higher efficiency devices that we developed then. But the reason they're doing that is it requires minimal changes in their production sequence from what they're already doing. So, um, you know, that sort of gives a hint that that might be the way the industry involves in the future. So, so, so my bet would be that the way the industry is going to evolve in the future as it moves from silicon to stack cells is to move to cells that are stacked on silicon because a manufacturer could keep their basic operation intact and just add additional steps onto it to uh, implement a cell like that. So, you know, silicon may well be around forever. Like, it, it's a little bit hard to forecast, say, 50 years in the future when Solar could well be the dominant way the world generates its energy, but silicon has all the attributes that are required to fulfill that role, and it would have to be a material with, with very special properties that uh, displaced it. So it's not impossible, but it's looking increasingly difficult as silicon becomes more entrenched, and you know, as I said before, its properties are pretty ideal for the application anyhow. Mm. You're listening to the Beyond Zero Emissions show with Professor Martin Green from the University of New South Wales and he's discussing the advances in PV technology with Scott Watkins. So with um, some of these other uh, uh, layers and, and, and sort of more uh, less well-advanced technologies like some of the inorganic cells, if we talk about like cadmium telluride devices or CZTS-type um, cells, what, what role do you see them playing in, in the development of solar? Yeah, I, I think, um, you know, there's some applications where other technologies can do better than silicon. So some building integrated products, for example, um, you know, some products like the CIGS are just incredibly attractive for those type of applications. So there might, may be market niches, but the other big role might be on, on top of silicon. So even though um, silicon is like, you know, I think is likely to maintain a dominant position indefinitely into the future... It needs other materials stacked on top of it to implement the tandem cell structure that we've been talking about. And uh, I think that's the role for other materials. So, uh, you know, it, materials that are compatible in, with silicon in, in uh, absorbing photons in the way I mentioned before, you know, are what are needed. And uh, I think that's the role that some of these other technologies will play. 
Another aspect of designing cells is dealing with the specific environmental conditions. And if we say compare outback Australia, that's a very sunny place with a a more hazy location in a, a developing country, are there aspects of the technology that mean that you would consider different approaches depending on those two different scenarios, a really sunny place versus a, a very hazy, cloudy place? Yeah, there's increasing discussion about that within the industry. So, um, you know, now modules are getting deployed increasingly in diverse locations around the world. You know, the the, the, the th- initial thrust came from Europe where the climate is quite moderate, but now they're, they're you know, being stuck widely in, in desert regions and so on. So, you know, there seems to be uh, two issues. In uh, humid, hot climates, there's additional durability issues that arrive that probably demand more attention to the ways the cells are packaged and um, in cold climates there are also its own challenges in in terms of snow loads and things that the panels have to absorb so there's increasing like in the past the manufacturers have tend to produce a standard module because that gives you the lowest costs if you just have to carry one item of inventory rather than a whole host but in the future there's there could well be uh, more diversification you know both within companies and then uh, additionally companies that might specialize in different climatic zones for example so i i think that could well occur because there's no point designing for snow road loads if you're um you know like in uh, somewhere in the north of australia for example and do you think that's just mechanical to deal with those sort of temperature and, and weight issues or, or would it extend to the actual absorbing materials to deal with things that, you know, perform better in, in lower light conditions? Yes, it, it could be, but I think the standard cells, you know, the, the, the emphasis in solar applications always has to be upon the energy conversion efficiency so, um, you know, in, increasingly so now that the solar panels are becoming so cheap, the cost of a solar system now is coming, the, the cost of installing the system is becoming a more important factor than the cost of the modules themselves. So if you look at the costs of installation, it turns out that the efficiency of the panels is the, is the key parameter in determining that installation cost. So there's going to be increasing attention to efficiency and um, some of the losses that occur in standard panels under low lighting conditions and so on will automatically be um, minimised as, as that sort of natural technology evolution occurs. So, uh, you know, I, I think all technologies are capable of working well under low light intensity and, um, you know, the solar spectrum on a cloudy day doesn't differ all that much from that on a really sunny day. So you've still got a, a strong blue component in the, in the sunlight. So, you, you know, I think the... I don't think there'll be so much of a diversification in technology between climatic zones as between the packaging uh, for that technology. Okay. Now, everyone who has worked in solar in Australia would appreciate that whenever there's a a new technology breakthrough announce, uh, the comment section online is always filled with questions about how we can capture the benefits in Australia rather than just exporting it overseas. How do you respond to those sort of questions? Yeah, well, um, most of the manufacturing of photovoltaics has, has moved to Asia, you know, like, like much of manufacturing other things like clothes and footwear and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, they can just do it more cheaply there. But with solar, you know, increasingly the costs are uh, the installation costs, which is purely um, local costs. So, you know, a huge fraction of the economic benefit of installing solar goes to local companies and industries and so on. So, um, you know... Uh, 
solar panels as a commodity, you know, it might be um, always that they're produced overseas. I guess in the installation and some of the, you know, smart technology that's needed to inter- for the solar to interact with the grid and that type of thing might be um, where countries like Australia can make their mark. At the other end, though, like the very sophisticated technology, once you use concentrated sunlight, the whole situation becomes a little bit different. It's not so much the cost of the solar cells that's important, but how well they perform. You know, So that's another opportunity for Australia in that area there. And the company I mentioned before, Raygen, is doing a really good job of capturing that end of the market. And you know, they're building a, a manufacturing facility in Melbourne for... Um, for making the the receivers that you need in those systems, so it's um, it's very high value added type of work, and I think that's the type of work that Australia is well suited for. That's that's great to hear because earlier in the week the uh, the Future Business Council had released a report about the next boom for Australia, and they highlighted in there that there were opportunities for uh, high tech industries to perhaps take on some of the economic load that mining and uh, and agriculture maybe has done to this point for Australia. And in that uh, report, they argued that the Australian biotech industry is is perhaps an example of, of success. And many would argue that that they have been more successful in maintaining long-term investment in Australia than the photovoltaics industry has been. Um, there, there are you know dozens of local biotech companies who actually do R and D, clinical trials, and even some manufacturing in Australia. Do you think that the example that you gave here is, is showing that that PV can maybe increase that sort of presence here in Australia? Yeah, I, I think so. And and I think uh, in future, it's going to be more about how the technology is applied than the, than the hardware. So, you know, the, uh, anything that's high end, I think Australia can do well. And, and biotech, you know, there's infinite number of new products to be developed. Whereas with solar cell, you know, the industry is probably likely to standardise on, you know, a, a common approach is the way things go. So, you know, once you've solved the problem, it's solved rather than biotech where you're always looking for um, solutions to new problems. But in the applications like the, the hardware side of installation and so on, so I, I, there was a report recently that showed Australia had the lowest installation costs of, of solar of any country worldwide, I think with the exception of China. And that just points to how well our local businesses have been doing in terms of installing the solar so, you know, there's a massive economic benefits from the use of solar locally, and I think that's the benefits that Australia can capture. Great. Now, just as we're, we're getting uh, towards the end, uh, something that's always on people's mind about these sort of things is, uh, is what's your advice for people putting solar cells on their homes today? Should they, they wait for some of these better technologies to be developed, or should they go with what's out there in the market? Yeah, no, no, the industry just moves incrementally. So even though you hear about these big breakthroughs and so on, they take uh, years to get onto the market and they don't cause a sudden change in costs overnight. It's more like a dramatic year by, rather than a dramatic change, it's like an incremental year by year reduction is what you see. So, you know, there's no time like the present to my mind, you know, particularly now where the costs of generating um electricity from solar on the roof of the home are lower than the cost that the power companies are able to provide it to you. It is increasingly being well recognised worldwide that solar provides the cheapest option and will provide the cheapest option in the future. So it, it's a sensible technology to get engaged with. Have you, uh, have you got solar panels on, on the roof of your house? 
Yeah, I've had them for uh, 16, 17 years now. So, um, yeah, and, they're, and they're, you know, the first system I installed is still producing pretty much the same it did on the day I installed it. So it's um, it, it's gone very well for me. Of course, solar wasn't cheap in those days when I installed it like it is now. But, you know, Australia has the lowest cost of installing solar anywhere in the world. So we get the panels as cheap as anywhere in the world and the local installers you are amongst the most competitive worldwide. Well, that's, uh, that's great to hear, um, practicing what, what you're preaching. And so we'll, we'll wrap that up there now, Martin. We really appreciate you uh, taking the time to speak with us today. Congratulations on the, the yet another breakthrough in, in terms of efficiency. And we really look forward to hearing about the work as it, as it continues. Okay, Scott, very nice talking to you. Thank you. Thanks, Martin, and thanks very much, Scott. That was a wonderful piece of information and really good to hear that the installation side of it is so cost-effective in Australia. Yes, it's... I wasn't it's, aware of that. It's, um, I, I thoroughly agree with Martin that there's no time like the present and if you are considering solar, you can go out now and, uh, and, and do it now. Well, as Martin said, it's certainly more cost-effective now than it ever used to be. And I know when we put our panels on in 2004, I think it was, was fifteen thousand dollars for a one kilowatt system. So yes, <laughs> times have changed. But yeah, and I and I think the other point about feed-in tariffs that people sometimes raise is say, oh, you know, I don't get as much of a subsidy anymore. But the reality is that you don't get as uh, the the cost has been reduced dramatically. So those those subsidies were there to help drive the demand early in the the commercialization of this technology. But now the the upfront cost is much lower. Mm, mm, fantastic, exciting. Thanks very much for that, Scott. The Beyond Zero Emissions Show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank, Beyond Zero Emissions. And if you want to listen to this show and any of the others that we have done, then you can go to www.bze.org.au and click on podcasts. You can also find us on Twitter at BZE Tech Show. Thanks for listening and we hope to see you again next week. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.